You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. All right, so we are going through Colossians and just a little bit of context. You know, it's very important not to just dive into scripture, but to, so that you can understand what's going on. Why did Paul write this letter to the churches or to the church in Colossae? So this was not, Colossae was not a very important town. It wasn't like anything prominent was there or anything like that. But rather, his friend Epaphras was the pastor there, started this church. And so he was visiting, some scholars believe that he was visiting Paul while he was in prison. And he was telling Paul, hey, this is how the church is doing. This is what they're about. And we'll just, we'll see kind of like how, or what Hannah read earlier, how like the love was made known. And so we see that there, there is, Paul knows about this church, but he hadn't been there. He didn't plant this church. But instead, he's writing to them because there were things going on. There were there was things in the city. There were things in the culture that were causing them to, to start to wrestle with the true fact of that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only thing that matters. And so he wrote this to the church in, or to the Colossians, to the people of Colossae, to warn them of the danger of returning to their former beliefs and practices. He also was refuting some sort of false teaching that was going on that was dealing with whether or not Christ was that important. Right, they're trying, there was something going on. They're not exactly sure. They were just pulling details from the text, essentially, as implications that something was causing to where Paul, as we'll see next week and this week, that Christ had to be glorified. Paul had to argue in the case of that Christ was supreme. And that if Christ is supreme, then we'll see that all of these things follow. But if Christ isn't supreme, then there's something else going on. And so in the same way, right, so his great purpose in this letter was to set forth the absolute supremacy and soul sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Many people will attack Jesus and say, even today, right, that Jesus was just a prophet, that Jesus was a good man, that I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus, that who he says he is, I just think that he was one of the prophets of God, right? But the problem is that when you look at your salvation, it can only exist because of Christ that he was fully man and fully God, because if he was not fully man, then he would not be a high priest, right, able to sympathize with our weakness weaknesses, as the writer of Hebrews would say, but if he wasn't God, then there's no way that he would be enough for the sacrifice to be for our sins, to be paid for, as Paul will talk later in the book of Colossians. And so when Jesus is supreme, when we see him above all else, our lives start to take focus on things that actually matter. When Jesus is at the forefront of our brains, when Jesus is the forefront of our minds, when Jesus is the reason we're living, then our lives will start to take focus on things that actually matter, and we start to live life the way God intended us to be. And in, in our individual lives, we corporately as a church start to look like the church Christ died for. And so, but if Jesus is a good person and not God and just human, then our lives will look like we're living by our own power and not by God's. When your eyes are not on Jesus, it's evident because you wrestle, you continue to lose to the sin that you lose to every single time. When your eyes are not on Jesus, you continue to be stressed out like crazy. When your eyes are not on Jesus, you're overwhelmed and nothing can do it. And then you run to everything else to try to fix it, but nothing fixes it. Why? Because as Christians, our eyes must be on Jesus. 
And when your eyes are not on Jesus, then everything becomes really big and really weighty. But when our eyes are on Jesus, nothing can shake us. Nothing can rattle our foundation. And in the same way that they were under pressure, we too are under pressure, right, as Christians, right? People would say, why believe religion, right? It won't give you a raise. It won't make you better at your job. It won't whatever, right? They'll say, why do you go to church? Why do you always do the right thing? Why don't you do this? Why do you do this? How do you believe in a God who is love but not let people love each other or be together, right? It's because of this mindset Right, this mindset is only focused on temporary pleasure, on temporary things. But whereas the Christian mindset, whom the Colossians, the people at Colossae, right, it was their hope. That's why they loved one another, because they're they were fixated on their hope of Jesus. And in the same ways, when our hope is fixated on Jesus, then our minds aren't worried about temporal things and, and just this world alone. Like if I can, every week I tell you, and every week I tell you that I tell you, that you will die one day. And your life is so short. You are not promised. I've been to so many funerals of, of teenagers or young people that should have had 60, 70 years of life left, but they didn't. Why? Because life is short. And so what I'm telling you is that today, I hope you leave that your eyes are fixed on Jesus, on eternity, and that your hope is set on this foundation that cannot be moved or shaken so that by evident, our love will be evident to everybody around us. And people will know that you're not living by your own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit by the way that you can say no to things and yes to things. And so let's turn to Colossians chapter 1 in our Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. It'll be on the screen as well. This Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so we'll stop right there. So right there, so, so don't forget, Paul is in prison, right? So imagine these were not prisons with air conditioning. This was not a prison with, you know, at least like a bed of some sort or like at least a, a really bad pillow. But this was Paul in prison, nasty, smelly, gross, disgusting prison. And yet he's writing about this, this love, and he's trying to encourage these believers in a whole different town. How? Because Paul is fixated on Jesus. Paul is, this isn't even in my notes, it's just reminding me as I'm reading it that how can he describe this? How could it be so encouraging? How could he not be asking them to say, hey, send me this. Hey, talk to this person. Hey, hire this lawyer. Hey, get me out of prison. No, it was, hey, don't forget about Jesus. Hey, don't forget about Jesus. Hey, I've heard about your love that came from the Holy Spirit. Hey, this is great. Be encouraged. And then he goes on and tells them about Jesus. 
And you see here in verse 8, it says, And has made, to, made known to us your love in the Spirit. Another translation says this, He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. And so we see one of the clues that we're seeing here is that in order for us to love people well, it must come from the Holy Spirit. Their love comes from their hope waiting for them, right? Their love came from them knowing that there is eternity waiting for them and not something else, right? Because if you believe the false gospel that if you chase God, everything will work out the way you intend for it. Like, that's not true. Life will never work out the way you intend it to. But instead, as we submit, as we'll see later, our wills to God's will, and we see that life works out the best way possible because God knows what he's doing and we don't. And so we see right here, their love comes from their hope waiting for them. There's a pastor named Francis Chan. Some of you may have heard of him. He, he's an author, uh, used to be a pastor of megachurch, gave it up. I mean, just uh, great guy. But he talks about in one of his books called Crazy Love. He talks about he was going to some sort of symphony or opera or play. I can't remember exactly, but he brought either his grandma or like grandmother-in-law to this symphony. And so they go and, and they, they enjoy it and it's a great time and he's happy because he got to take her. And, and so, and she was kind of like getting closer to the end of her life. And so anyways, in the midst of this, right there, the show finishes, you know, it's the final hurrah, everybody's clapping and then he leans over and he asked her, hey, what did you think? You know, he's thinking, man, I got to bring you to this. You probably haven't been to one in a while. I want to know, like, did you enjoy it? Because I did. And she turns to him and she says this. You know, I thought it was beautiful. And I thought they did a great job. But I'm not sure I want to, if this is the place I want to be. If this is what I want to be doing if Jesus were to come back right now. And I remember reading that, like, who thinks like that? Like, who's thinking, man, like, I loved it, but I don't know if this is worthy of when Jesus comes back, if what I want to be caught doing, and she wasn't doing anything wrong, right? Most people are like, I don't want to be caught doing something sinful when Jesus comes back, but she's just sitting there enjoying a symphony of sorts, and yet her, her mind is so fixated on Jesus that she was like, man, I don't know if this is really worth eternity, so I'm not saying don't go to a symphony. I'm not saying, you know, because I love the symphony. I love orchestras or go to a play. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this was her mindset, and I believe this was Paul's mindset, and also the people in Colossae, and I hope it becomes ours. So the question is this. Do you live with this same mindset? Do you think about Jesus coming back? Do you think about how we'll live forever do you think about how Jesus could show up at any moment of any day of your life? Do you live knowing your time on earth isn't for you if you're a true Christian? Right? Like when you become a Christian, you were a slave before, a slave to sin, a slave to your flesh, but now you are a slave to God, right? And this is, you know, talking about being a servant. You are at his bidding. And so before, you were at your own bidding. You were doing only the things that you wanted to do, what you thought was necessary, what you thought would benefit you, what you thought would move you up in life. But now, if you're a Christian, it's not so much, oh, how do I benefit me? It's how do I benefit the kingdom? How do I move Jesus forward? How do I proclaim Jesus? How do I make his name known and not anything that I'm fighting for? How do I show people that my life is for Jesus and nothing else? Like, like, because the question you have to ask is, like, if you were to take, like, a survey of your closest friends, family, Facebook friends, whatever, uh, Instagram followers, 
would they argue that your greatest cause in life is Jesus? Would they argue that your greatest passion in life is Jesus? Would they be able to say at your funeral, man, their eyes were fixated on Jesus. They lived through the eyes of of Jesus looking at them all the time. You see, the believers at Colossae lived with their eyes on eternity and hope in Jesus, and it led them to being known as such a loving gathering of believers, a church. And so I wonder, right, if people would say the same about living great, right? Right? Because I've been here eight months now in Tyler, and most of my conversations have usually ended up to, hey, what church do you go to? Not my fault, right? It just it seems like a normal thing in Tyler, right? Like, hey, do you go to church or something, right? And, and it's a pretty normal, sorry. But imagine if you were to say, oh, I go to Living Grace. And their first reaction is, oh, man, y'all really know how to love people well. Man, the way that y'all do this shows that y'all's hope, I mean, they're not going to say exactly like this, right? <laughs> but, but would they be... Would we be known as the church that truly loves? Or would we just be, oh, you know, it's that church where the cops sit for the speed trap. You know, it's because it's true. They do sit out there. And believe it or not, they will, the radar hears you before they see you. So just so you know, they're like, if you do, you're like, no way he caught me. No, the radar caught you. So just so you know. All right, anyways, don't speed. Simple, right? Just don't speed. Easy as that. All right. So, but is it, is that what they would say about us? Um, But Paul Paul tells us in verse 8 that this love came from the Holy Spirit. Another translation, right, says the the love that the Holy Spirit has given you. And so we see that the Holy Spirit gives us this love in our hearts. And it should be so natural for us to love as Christians, right? Like most people, if you think like talking about the love of Christ is like elementary and you're like, can't you talk about something deeper? The problem is Jesus talked about love all the time, right? And, and love was the motivation of God and Jesus for all of the works of, of theology that we talk about, of the atonement, like big words, right? Is that it was all about love. And the problem, right, is because it's all, he talks about love because we have such an issue with loving people. Right, we have an issue with loving people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't agree with our, you know, man-made laws that we say you should live by, right? It's like, hey, we should be known as a people who love. And so then he goes in verse 9, he says this, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God, right, to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so the question I want us to wrestle with today is this, what is the will of God? Right, what is the will of God? How do we figure it out? Is it just by prayer? Right, prayer helps us discern the will of God. Right, is it by talking to others? Wise counsel is not wrong to seek, right? It is Proverbs talks a lot about, you know, seeking wise counsel, godly wisdom. But where should we seek God's will? Scripture. Right, but, but how do we do this, right? Because if you open up the Bible and you're trying to figure out, right, or if you, let's say, used to, trying to figure out what college you were going to, right, you're not going to find, you know, UT Tyler or SFA or Sam Houston State or A&M. You're not going to see those words in the Bible, right? You're not going to see in the Bible whether or not you should take that job offer. You're not going to see in the Bible whether or not you should move to that city. You're not going to see in the Bible many of these specific things that we're looking for. And so we're like, I want to know God's will for my life so that I can make this decision. But what I want to push you to today is that there is a way to see God's will for those specific moments 
but it comes whether or not you actually understand what God's will is revealed in Scripture first. So what does Scripture tell us about God's will? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we see part of the will of God revealed to us is this, is that in all circumstances, right, not just good ones, but bad ones and worse ones and ones that you wish you can get rid of, give thanks in all circumstances is part of the will of God. 1 Peter 2.15 says this, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So part of the will of God is doing good so that others don't call you fake, right? It's obvious to others by our works that that's part of God's will, is that we would look like we're actually saved. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So being sanctified and made more like Jesus is part of God's will. And then above that is abstaining from a lifestyle that doesn't glorify God, right? Because at the end of the day, right, I may not call you out specifically on the sin that you're wrestling with that nobody knows about except the one that you're involved with or whatever. But at the end of the day, God knows and God sees and yet if you don't realize that even in his love, he's still pursuing you despite the double lifestyle that you live where you come here and you worship, go out and you live that life. Romans 12 tells us this in verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so right here is where we'll sit at today. We can discern God's will by having our minds renewed, is what Paul would say here. So how do we renew our minds? How do we as Christians renew our minds? You see, transformation, right? As Christians, we are being transformed from death to life, but it's not that you have a to-do list of the flesh. So it's like before you had to do this, but then now, right? Now it's like you gotta obey all these things. That it's like, hey, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. Like, then you'll be good, right? Then you'll be fine, right? That's not what it meant to be a Christian. But rather, when Paul replaces this list, when Paul replaces it in Galatians, as we've seen, like where we were living this way and now we're living this, is that he doesn't replace it with new things like, hey, do this. But instead, he says the fruit of the Spirit. So, so what I'm saying is this, is that when us, for us to be transformed, it's not by us doing a bunch of things on a list. Like, I'm not going to hand you a list and say, if you do this, your mind will be transformed. I'll tell you to do some things. But what Paul's pushing for is that the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, that if you're living in step with the Spirit, meaning that you're following the Spirit, you're, you're dying to yourself, you will automatically look like a life, or you, your life will have the fruit of the Spirit. And on top of that, you will be able to discern the will of God because you know him. You see, the Christian alternative to immoral behaviors is not a new list of moral behaviors. It is the triumphant power and transformation of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, our treasure. And so we renew it by the power of the Holy Spirit because he is the one making us new. Titus uh, chapter 3 verse 5 says this, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal 
of the Holy Spirit. So see, the Holy Spirit is the one that makes us new. And so how does he do it? 2 Corinthians 3, 18 helps us to see. He says this, And we, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we see the Holy Spirit is responsible for renewing our minds, for renewing us, right? But then how does he do it? And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed. And so we can see that in order for us to be transformed, we must behold the glory of the Lord. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. You see, we are changed, we are renewed every moment that we have our eyes fixed on the glories of Christ. Like, when's the last time you just sat there in silence or at some point in the day and just thought about how amazing Christ is? When's the last time you just sat there and were just amazed at how good Jesus has been to you and you just thought about it? You see, we are changed Right, every single time that we are thinking about Jesus and having our eyes fixed on Jesus, the Holy Spirit is changing us. Um, One of the um, things that I realized in Thailand, and now that I'm getting older, I'm realizing it's just everywhere. There's just bad drivers everywhere, right? Like, you know, if you go on Broadway at any point in the day, you're going to find somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. They don't know where to turn. They think they're about to turn. Or they, like, won't barely go over to the right to, like, skip over the left-hand lane. Like, anyways. Uh, But one of the most annoying things about driving is like you, is that moment when you're like, what is this person doing? And then you drive up next to them and you're like, I bet they're on their phone. And then you look over and they're like looking straight at it, right? Maybe not for you. For me, that's one of the most annoying things that I'm like, oh, on their phone. Of course, of course you'd be on your phone. And then I like drive off, except for I don't speed. So I'm like, I get to the speed limit and I just like really quick, like 45, boom. And like, so I'm not really, I have to see them eventually. Uh, but I did tell y'all one time, I remember it was at groups where I did, I did, I, I drove in such a way where I was like, I can't believe it. And then to the point where I had to pull my sunglasses out and put them on because I didn't want them to see me in case they came to visit Living Grace. And they're like, oh, it's that guy. I'm walking straight out. Uh, so anyways, I'm, I'm learning, right? I'm learning. I'm, 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 the Lord's working on me. But, <laughs> But I'm guilty, too, of sometimes being on my phone. But when you're on your phone, right, or when most wrecks happen, most of the time, somebody wasn't paying attention to what was in front of them, right? They were either grabbing a coffee, something fell on the floor, they were dealing with their kids, they were looking at their phone, they were changing the radio, they were looking the other way. Like, when your eyes aren't fixed on what's in front of you, most of the time, that's how wrecks have happened, right? So, right, how many curb checks have you done, or maybe don't know, people don't know about, but how many curb checks have you done because you weren't paying attention to your driving, right? Just a friend of mine this past week told me how he was, he was on... Fifth Street, and he was turning south on Beckham, right by that Waterburger. So, you know, you go to that yield right there, and so he drives, and then he looks, and there's nobody coming. There's a car in front. So he assumed they were going because nobody was coming. Well, at the last second, they slammed on their brakes, and he looked that way but let off the gas and rammed them right there. And so he was like, man. But the problem was his eyes were not fixed on what was in front of him. And so because of that, that's when he started hitting all, you know, he hit the person, we hit curves, 
we don't do. We almost get in wrecks. We drive slow when you should be driving a little bit faster, right? It's like at least the speed limit. So, but how much more do we find ourselves bumping into things in our life that we shouldn't be doing? How many times are we looking at things that could kill us or that could eventually kill us? How many times are we focusing on things that leave us dangerous to those around us when we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, on what's in front of us, right? It's like how many times in your life has your sin has been the fact that this temptation has come and you did not win via or from that temptation. You gave in to that temptation. Why? Because your eyes were on that and not on Jesus. And the same thing as I said last week, right? There's no neutral with Jesus. You're either all in pursuing him or you're not pursuing him. There's never a you just sitting because if you sit, you're not pursuing Jesus. And the same way is that you're not being transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord and you're not being renewed by the spirit and you don't know the will of the Lord and then you don't even look like the spirit lives within you. Why? Because your eyes are not fixed on Jesus. And so there, we must renew our minds. We must fix our eyes on Jesus. And so there's two ways the spirit helps us to flesh this out from outside in and then the inside out. So the first way is this. He exposes our mind to Christ-centered teaching, right? So here at Living Grace, if you go visit another church in the area, you know, we're all on the same team, a lot of us. I would say, hey, Go and find a church, right? Living Grace isn't your cup of tea. Go find a church that proclaims Christ. Go find a church that preaches Jesus and not politics, not just topic of the world, you know, just a random whatever's on the news that week. Like, find a church that puts Jesus on the front and says everything we do here is for Jesus, by Jesus, and all about Jesus. That's the church you want to do. And so in the same way, the Holy Spirit allows us or pushes us to, to read, you know, to read the Bible, which proclaims Jesus, to listen to good sermons, which helps us Jesus. This mic is utterly crazy. Hold on. Maybe I'm not driving you crazy, but let me see if I can change it. Check, check, check. All right, here we go. I just need to turn it up a little bit. For the recording, maybe. Check, check, check. Four. Should be four. Or Carlina, check, check, check. So sorry. Hey, hey, check. Nothing? All right, back to static key. All right, here we go. All right, so he leads us to want to hear the gospel, to read our Bibles, to read books of spiritual giants who live before us and meditating on how great Christ is. But you see, Satan doesn't want us to behold the glories of Christ. Right? Satan does not want us to think about Christ, to fix our eyes on Christ. And so in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it tells us this. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So you see, one of his main schemes is to keep us not fixated on Jesus. And so once again, you wonder why you haven't matured in your faith. You wonder why you still wrestle with the same sins that you did five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago. It's because your eyes have not been fixated on Jesus. You wonder why your faith dwindles when life comes at you. It's because your eyes haven't been and are not on Jesus. You want strong faith. You want to do great things for the Lord. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and and let him take care of everything else, but you just focus on him. And so this is what the enemy doesn't want us to do. And so the second way is from the inside out, because the Holy Spirit, he breaks our hard hearts that blinds us and corrupts our way of thinking, right? Our natural 
tendency is not to keep our eyes on Jesus. Sometimes we don't even need the devil to tempt us. We do it by ourselves. We just don't want to keep our eyes on Jesus. We'd rather do things our way. We'd rather do things the way we think is necessary instead of having faith that Jesus knows what he's talking about. So to have our minds transformed so that we can discern the will of God, we must be transformed daily by gazing at Christ. We must immerse ourselves in Jesus. And when we do that, knowing the will of God becomes easier and easier. You see, um, whenever I, before I got into ministry, I used to do live sound. So I do it here. If you want to learn about sound, we're looking for a sound person. So if you want to help out here at Living Grace, I can teach you. But for about over a decade, I think now 15 years, I have been affiliated with sound, install, lighting, etc. It doesn't really matter now. But while running sound, a lot of times people, you know, they think, okay, you know, up here, every single, every single band member has what is called like a channel, right? So I'm going to educate you a little bit this morning on sound. Everybody has a channel. And so what happens is when you're mixing sound, right, is you try to think, okay, if I can't hear the guitar, then I must turn it up all the way, right? Because that makes sense, right? If you can't hear something, you turn it up all the way and then you can hear it. But the problem is when you turn that up, then you can't hear this singer. And then what do you do? You turn that singer up, right? But then you can't hear the other guitar. So then you turn that guitar up. And then it turns, gets really loud and it's really jumbled. And then you've turned it all the way up and now you can't do anything, right? And so what is the solution? Is instead of figuring out, okay, what, what, is, what can I can't hear, right, is the guitar, the bass. Then the next question is, what is too loud? And so in the sound world, we would say, what is too loud? Turn it down. And so you would, you would turn down, maybe it's the other guitar. You turn that down and you're like, oh, I didn't have to touch the bass at all, right? And so I, I give you this analogy because in life, a lot of times we think, man, I can't hear God's voice. I don't know what God's telling me about this part of my life. I don't know what he wants me to do about this thing. Like, I, don't, I just can't hear him. You tell me to hear, you know, God's will. You tell me that God speaks, and yes, he does, right? But I can't hear it. And the problem is not that God isn't speaking. The problem isn't that the bass isn't playing and that it's there. What is the problem? That something is too loud. Something is taking precedence in your life. And so you think God's not speaking. You think God's not telling you stuff when in reality, what is it? Something is more important than Jesus. And this is what Paul's writing in the church in Colossians. He's saying Jesus must be preeminent. We'll we'll talk about next week. He must be supreme, not because if we make him supreme, then he is supreme. He is supreme, and so we have to live in knowing and believing that he is supreme over our life. And so the problem isn't that God's not speaking. The problem is we're not listening because we're hearing everything else in our life. We're hearing friends. We're hearing social media. We're hearing great TED Talk people, like leadership people reading good books. And the problem is what does God say? What is God saying about this? You see, we spend more time listening to everything else, focusing our eyes on everything else but God. And then we wonder why we make dumb decisions. We wonder why we think God isn't speaking or that he doesn't hear us. It's just because we're not listening. Because every time you read the Bible, God speaks to you. And every time you come to church, God is speaking to you through the word, through the Holy Spirit. And so what's the problem? Because many a times... I've been there. I've been guilty of this. We have, the, th- we have our, the voice inside of our heads that says this. That's not for you right now. 
what he's talking about, that's not for you right now. I'm talking about the sermon. Or he's repeating something again, and you've heard it the first time. Oh, it must not be important. Or the third thing, right, is, man, I wish so-and-so was here because they need to hear this sermon. Oh, I can't wait till it's on podcast because I'm going to send it to them, right? It's like, like, that's what we're thinking, right? Instead of just fixing our eyes on Jesus, and we have trained ourselves to think we know what's best for us, Instead of humbly coming before the Lord and saying, God, I feel like I don't need this, but do I? God, I feel like I've heard this sermon a million times, but why am I hearing it again? Does Kai only have one sermon? You know, <laughs> it's like, Lord, help him. Or it's, right, Lord, I keep thinking of other people needing to hear this. Am I the one that should be listening? Or it's, Lord, let me fall in love with you more and more, no matter the message, right? Because the goal is that you come in here ready and expecting from God. The goal is that you come in saying, God, I'm ready to worship you. I'm ready to know you. I'm ready to glorify you. Expose my heart today. God, expose my heart to what's missing today. You see, the goal is that you have been immersed in Jesus the whole week. So when you see someone at church who needs to be encouraged, you know the Lord's will to do so, right? That's what having a family, a body of Christ is all about. And so the question, right, you have to figure out is what is too loud in your life? What is taking up too much of your thoughts? Who do you need to forgive or reconcile with that lives rent-free in your brain? What sins brought up in your mind when you come to church or think about Jesus do you need to bring to the cross today? What desires or dreams do you need to lay down at the feet of Jesus? You see, the better you know the Bible. Or so, so earlier I talked about the will of God. And so to help, under, help you understand this a little bit more, to break it down, is that there is like this general will of God, and then there's a specific will of God. So we see the general will of God, which is revealed in the Bible. And then we see a specific will for specific situations in our life, i.e. go to college, accept this job, or whatnot. But to, to help you understand is that what is the second, the specific will, is always in agreement with the first. Meaning, you can't say God told you or led you to do something that is not in agreement with the scriptures. Right, so you can't say, hey, God told me to do this. God told me I should say this. God, fill in the blank. Like, you cannot say that if it doesn't match up with the revealed God, will of God in the scriptures. So the better you know the Bible, the easier it is to find the specific will of God. When Solomon, the son of King David, when he became king, God came to him and said, hey, what do you want? And Solomon said, give me wisdom to rule your people. And so God gave him the wisdom, but above that, he gave them riches and renown. And you can read his story in the Bible. It is, uh, he had everything. But the reason Solomon asked for wisdom is so that every single time that somebody came to him, he wasn't asking, God, should I do this? God, should I do that? And it's not wrong to pray about things in your life, especially little things. But what I'm saying is instead that you you would have wisdom and you would ask God for wisdom and you would get wisdom from scripture so when things arise you already know what God's will is for the situation because you know what he's revealed in scriptures in the scriptures you see you don't have to ask God if you should marry this guy or girl who doesn't love Jesus like come on <laughs> like it should be obvious 
And the only way, reason that they, you pray together or he or she makes you pray is not because you're going to church and they're like, hey, let's pray, you know, like, let's seek God's will. It's because you're probably doing something that you're confessing later. You don't have to ask God if they're the one when it's obvious the fruit of the Spirit isn't in them. Right? If they're not pursuing Jesus more than you, you don't want to marry that person. Because it will be difficult, right, is for those who are married, maybe your spouse came to know the Lord later, right, it's difficult to have you as the mindset of, I want all about Christ, I fixated on Christ, but then your spouse does not want anything for Christ, and then you're always arguing and trying to, you know, wrestle with things because both y'all are on two different pages. You see, you don't have to question whether or not something is a sin, but if you know the revealed will of God, if you've been spending time with him, rather you ask this question, will this bring me closer to Jesus? It's not, is it a sin or not a sin? Does this bring me closer to Christ? The more you read the Bible, the easier it is to understand what you're supposed to do in this life. And so how do we get wisdom? How do we get discernment for the will of God? The Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Think about it. If you know God is looking, God, who can, the Bible describes as the one who can destroy both your soul and your body. God, who, when the Israelites were gathered around Mount Sinai, he was so the cloud was so dark and there was so much so loud and his voice was so loud and it was just such a scary moment and it was just a preview a small glimpse of how powerful God was and the Israelites they cried out to Moses hey we don't want to talk to God you talk to God for us because we're terrified of him right this God right so if you know this God is looking at you why would you choose to sin why would you choose to not love why would you choose to not forgive? Because it's also the same God who is love, who did forgive you. And it's so, it's in, in all this, right, the God who can destroy both your soul and body and yet rescued you because of Jesus, because he took your punishment on the cross, because he took all your sins and he nailed it to the cross and he reconciled you back to the Father to where this God who was scary, whom nobody could go to, yet we now have access to the Father where we can pray to him and we can come into his presence and we don't have to have Moses or a priest come to us because we have the great high priest who paid for all of our sins and so we can go to God that God and so the question is why would you live a life that does not look like you love God when you understand what God has done for you and it's probably because you don't understand what God has done for you because if you did then you would know his will and you would know how to live and you would live like you love because you have been loved This is the God who calls you his own. This is the good shepherd in Psalm 23 who leads you. And so what is the result of all this, right? When, our, when we're fixated on eternity, when we're loving, when we're seeking the will of God, when we know the will of God, when, when we're praying that our family members and our spouses and our kids know the will of God as well as the way as that Paul was praying for the church in Colossae, what is the result? Verse 10 says this so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Another translation says this, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit, 
all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. See, Paul says, when you think this way, when God becomes your focus, when you're fixated on Jesus, when you turn down anything in your life that is louder than the Lord, more than you spend more time than in scripture, more time than in prayer, then what will happen? We will live in a way that will always honor and glorify and please God. We will produce every kind of good fruit and we will grow because as we learn to know God better and better, we grow and by knowing him more, you will also better discern the will of the Lord. If you can stand with me this morning. See, Paul wanted the church in Colossae to know God's will. He wanted them to continue to persevere despite everything going on, all the false teachings and just everything going on. He wanted them to persevere and he wanted them to grow into the knowledge of God. And it's the same for us. I want you to know God's will in your life. I want you to know God's will so you can be sanctified, so that you can do every kind of good work, so that your hope will be set on eternity and not on temporary things. Like, man, Jesus will take care of our physical needs. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. You see, I will remind you that the enemy wants you to forget that you are going to die and what you do every second of every day matters in light of eternity. Live in such a way that Jesus is the only thing that matters and you will start to see your life changed. It will take time because God works at his own pace. But you will start to see change. And don't look for the change. Don't look for that. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Right? You don't, you don't look at yourself and be like, oh, you know, is my spiritual biceps growing? Let me measure them. Like, no. Like, you just fix your eyes on Jesus and you will be changed. Be holding right from one degree of glory to the next. And so imagine us being a church solely focused on God's will. Imagine us keeping in step with the Spirit. We too will then be loving those around us because of the hope of heaven, of Jesus we're eagerly anticipating. So what's too loud in your life? What are your eyes focused on that's not Jesus? And really the ultimate question you have to ask is this, is Jesus enough for you? If he is, keep coming back, keep pursuing him, keep wrestling, keep being sanctified, keep fixing your eyes on him. But if Jesus isn't enough for you, if you're here because you want Jesus to do something for you and you don't really want Jesus, then man, it's gonna be really difficult for you to figure this out because that's not how it works. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples.